Let's open up our Let's open up our Bibles together to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, this week I was chatting with a friend of mine who has uh, several years of experience in the world of business. And he was, he was telling me a story about those early years uh, of his career. And he explained that in the early years of his career, he was go to work. I think he was in sales. And simply think about his work from his own perspective. And then one day someone challenged him, you know, it might be a good idea uh, to put yourself in your boss's shoes and look at your day and look at your work. So, for example, how does your boss view your day? What, what are his expectations? What is he thinking? Uh, does he think that you are succeeding? And what other big picture considerations is he thinking about when he thinks about you going to work today and what you're going to do? Uh, That is probably not how the average employee thinks per se. Uh, The average person isn't probably seeing or even considering or thinking about the big picture of the company or the business or what they're doing. Uh, Rather, people tend to focus on their individual pieces of the pie and their particular little project and job and task without thinking about how it relates to the whole and how it impacts the whole, depending on how that person performs. We tend to operate in our own little silos, and this this is what I'm doing. For those of you who manage people, wouldn't it be great if every person who worked for you uh, saw their individual job and their work within the grand scheme and could see it through the bigger picture lens that you see it through? Uh, Wouldn't that be awesome? What if you could help them see the whole and have a fuller perspective? I think that's what God is trying to do with spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have a tendency not to see the big picture. Uh, We tend to see our little world, our little thing, whatever it is we're doing, whatever it is that we want, and yet God wants us to step back and see the whole. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is trying to help us see that big picture. And actually, I think what you'll find, if you haven't noticed already, it's like he just keeps repeating himself. Paul, I think you literally just said that very same thing. And he's restating things from multiple, uh, multiple different ways and from different angles so as to drive something through our thick heads. Your inclination and mine is going to be to look at the church from a very individualistic perspective. And what needs to happen for you and I is we need to step back. We need to step out of our own shoes and look at this, the church and spiritual gifts and how the church works from God's perspective and see the, the panoramic view. How does God see all of this? Because so much hinges on this. God wants you to get it. You have to see this. We're turning our attention this morning to 1 Corinthians 12 and just a few verses, verses 27 to 31, if you'd follow along as I read. Paul writes, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This morning, we're going to consider four words for our thick heads. And maybe that's not you. (laughs) Maybe you don't have a thick head. Every time God says something, every time you read it in Scripture, you're like, I got it and I'm doing it. 
But the reality is sometimes our heads are pretty thick and sometimes we are pretty dense. So four words for thick heads. Here's the first one. When it comes to spiritual gifts and all that, that Paul has been talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when it comes to spiritual gifts, God is talking about you. Have you ever been in a classroom or a teaching setting uh, where maybe the instructor, instructor points in your direction and he says, how about you? What do you think? How would you answer that question? And as he was pointing there your direction, you sort of look to the right and you sort of look to the left and you look behind you and please not me, you know. And is it me? Yes, I want to know what you think. That's kind of, in verse 27, what God is saying. I am talking to you. I am addressing you, and you specifically. God spent the last 26 verses here in 1 Corinthians 12 talking about spiritual gifts, and he illustrated that at length through the analogy of the human body. And now he says, basically, in case you didn't get it, I'm talking about you. Look at verse 27. Paul writes there, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The Greek phrase there in verse 27 places special emphasis on the word you. If you were to translate it quite literally, that word you would actually show up two times and it's loaded on the front end of the sentence. He's emphasizing that word. You, all caps, are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. You, plural, are the body. Collectively, you make up this thing called the body of Christ. You're part of something much, much larger than yourself. And you, singular, individually, are various parts of the body. Paul already said that multiple times. Does that sound new? He literally said that again and again in the first 11 verses, and then he illustrated that through the imagery of the body. He said it again and again and again. Why is Paul driving that into our thick heads? Well, probably for a few reasons. I think that you and I could sit here on any given Sunday. Um, So 1 Corinthians, for example, we could go, wow, you know what? I mean, like the Corinthians, it's like week after week. They just have so many problems. (laughs) I mean, everywhere you looked in the Corinthian church, I was like, I don't even know. Some days they don't even, I'm not even sure they were Christians. They were so bad. And we look at the Corinthians, wow, they had so many problems. And we could sit here and we could fail to recognize that, yes, God was talking to them. But as we open up God's word today, he's talking to you and he's talking to me. You are the body of Christ. Also, could it be that we tend to miss the big picture, that we tend to think uh, at times perhaps that we could do without the body? Or that we don't need to to really function and be actively involved in it on Sundays and throughout the the rest of the week with God's people. Or that we're more or less important than other members of the body in our function. Is it possible that you and I could think that way? Yes, absolutely it is, and we probably do. Also, let's just be honest, church can be a hurtful place. I would imagine that there there were some very deep, and long-standing hurts in the Corinthian church. Do we know anything from, from this book that might clue us in that that was likely the case? You know, a church doesn't approach the Lord's table like the Corinthians did without people being lacerated and deeply hurt. 
Why do I say that? Well, remember when we looked at the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11? To be part of the Corinthian church was to go home absolutely, completely and totally humiliated if you didn't have money. Uh, just chapter 11, verse 22. It talked about that. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Just imagine being in the church of Corinth if you weren't particularly wealthy and maybe you were a slave or you were someone in a lower economic class. You would have gone home completely humiliated. Also, it's very likely that to be a part of the Corinthian church was to go home humiliated and ashamed and feeling insignificant if you were, in terms of spiritual gifts, you were a foot, not the head. And if that's me with any of these things, I'm tempted to think, you know what? Maybe I'll just take my gifts and I'll go home. <laughs> or maybe I'll just take my gifts and I'll go somewhere else with them. In fact, you know what? I don't even think I need the church. Sometimes we feel like pulling away from the body because of our experience with it. Whether they're small hurts or big hurts, let's just be honest. Church can be a very ugly, messy, broken place sometimes. And I've heard it many times, and you probably have too. I love Jesus, but not his church. Not the church. Or I love Jesus, but not his wife. I don't know about you, but I felt that way before. I mean, I think in my heart it's always, I know the church is important, and I, I love it. And yet at the same time, I love Jesus, but I am really, really struggling with his church, or his people, or that person, or what happened. And I bet that that's not just me. Or the Corinthians, I think that most of you have probably felt that at one point or another, and you will feel it again. But look at verse 27. Paul writes, now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Who is God talking to, the, to there? He's talking to you specifically, and he's talking to all of us collectively. You are the body of Christ. When it comes to spiritual gifts and the church, God is talking about you. Um, just, just by way of application in a few realms here, there has been a ton of strain on the church, both locally, we could say right here at Beaumont Baptist Church, uh, in our area, and universally, the universal church, all around the globe over the last two years. And people have been hurt, and people have been wronged, and people have been misunderstood, and people have been judged, and people have been disappointed in their, their leaders and leadership, and they've been disappointed in decisions and so many other things, and everybody's been living on the edge. Uh, I would sort of describe it like a hangry family in the car. You ever pile into a vehicle with maybe your family or friends, and something went wrong, and you didn't get lunch on time or, or whatever, and everybody's hungry. And as time goes on and you continue all jam-packed in that car together, sooner or later, everybody's just kind of at each other's throats because everybody's hangry. And in some ways, I think that's what the last couple years have been like for God's people. There are these pressures that have been on all of us and all kinds of things have happened. And maybe what we all need to hear is this. You are the body of Christ. You are one and you have a part to play in that body. Don't move away from the body, you move towards it. And some of you, that may be exactly what you need to do. It's possible that you've been sitting here stewing about this or that. And God just says to you, listen, you are the body. 
You move towards the body, not away from it. You move towards it. You engage with it. You are the body. Or maybe over the last several months, there are some of you sitting here and it's almost as, you've, as if you've got lost a bit. And maybe you don't even have a church home. Maybe you felt like, wow, I don't think God wants me where I'm at currently. I, I think he wants me in a different church and, or whatever the case may be. Maybe uh, due to your health or something, you kind of pulled away from church or, or whatever the case may be. And you sort of got lost in the middle somewhere and you don't exactly have a church home anymore. Or maybe even someone who might listen online. Where are your people? Where is the body? And God expects you to find the body and be a part of it. You are the body. It's who you are. It's who God made you. A Christian without a church is an oxymoron. What Christians do is they they are a part of a church and they engage with that church. So the first words for thick hedge is this. When it comes to spiritual gifts in the church, God is talking about you. You have to be a part of a local body and function in that body. You have to. That is God's plan for you and for me. And I would just say a word here. Um, there may be people sitting here in this whole talk of being part of the body of Christ in the church. and Well, maybe you're interested in that. But how do you become part of it? Well, we saw uh, in previous messages that it's, it's a, a work of God to save people. The work of the Spirit of God to save people and through the work of Jesus Christ and, and what he's done is people recognize that Jesus Christ is God. And they came to earth and he died on the cross and he paid for their sins to satisfy God's wrath and he was buried and he rose again the third day. As people realize that Jesus is God and he died for their sins and they follow the Lord by confessing their sin. I am a sinner. I deserve your wrath and I deserve your judgment. God, will you forgive me through the work of Christ? Will you save me? As people put their faith in Jesus Christ, what we saw a couple weeks ago is that the Spirit of God makes that person a new person and brings them into the body. And maybe you're not a Christian, you're not a part of a church. God wants you to be. He wants you to be a part of his body. He wants you to repent of your sins and trust in him. And he wants to give you life with the body of Christ. And that's something that can happen today. A second word for thick heads When it comes to spiritual gifts, God appoints them. He's already said that multiple times. When I say that, you're like, yep, we heard that point last week and the week before. I know, and we're hearing it again. And maybe that's because we can be a little bit dense sometimes. When it comes to spiritual gifts, God appoints them. He uh, is going to say that again here in verse 28. God allots or apportions spiritual gifts to individuals according to his sovereign will. Uh, here God is going to give us in this verse another list of spiritual gifts. Look at verse 28. It says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Um, Prophecy and tongues from that list, just so you know, they are going to become the focal point of chapter 14. Uh, Pretty much the whole chapter is about those two particular gifts. So I won't say much about them here today, uh, but we'll make a few comments about some of the other gifts on this list. Uh, it begins with apostles there in verse 28. There are some today, and perhaps you're even familiar with churches or people uh, who would say, we have apostles or I am an apostle. 
So maybe the best thing that we could do is simply try to understand from Scripture, what is an apostle? Do we have apostles here at Beaumont Baptist Church? Are there apostles in the church today? And how many apostles are there and uh, were there? And I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 1. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians. Uh, But to start, what is the, the meaning of that word, an apostle? Apostle means sent one. So simply put, an apostle is someone who has been sent. Sent on a mission, or we might say commissioned. An apostle is a delegate sent to represent someone and speak or act on their behalf. The apostles, when you think about uh, the 12, they were sent by who? They were sent by Jesus. So the meaning of apostle means sent one. Uh, Are there various kinds of apostles? Maybe that's not the best way to, to word it, but is anyone labeled an apostle? Are they all the same? Is that word used the same way throughout Scripture? Well, verse 28 appears to be referring to what I would maybe call the office of the apostle. And I say that, and I think it's a very important thing to make a distinction on, because there are people referred to as apostles in the New Testament who did not have what we might call the office of an apostle. For example, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, Titus is spoken about there along with some others and referred to as messengers, and the word is apostles of the churches. Okay, very interesting reference to note. Also, Philippians 2, verse 25 mentions Epaphroditus, and Paul talks about him. He says, he's my brother, but he's your, the church's messenger, and the word is apostle. Also, in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, this reference would be a little bit more debated, but you have Andronicus and Junia, uh, two other possible apostles in that same sense. A key distinction between these apostles, the ones that I just mentioned, And those who held the office of apostle was actually who sent them. Uh, The the apostles were sent out and commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. These other apostles, they're messengers. They're sent ones of specific local churches. Huge distinction there. So let's talk for a moment about the apostles. And I think that is the way in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the word is used. The apostles. The apostles were chosen by Christ. Um, if we, there are qualifications to being one of the apostles that, that Scripture is speaking about, and there are three of them. And I want to mention them here briefly and give you some scriptural evidence for those qualifications. Three qualifications. First, the apostles were chosen by Christ. You're not an apostle unless you're chosen by Jesus. It has to be the case. Uh, so here's some scriptural proof for that. Luke chapter 16, 6, verse 13 says, And when day came, he, Jesus, called his disciples, and then note what he did next, and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Jesus chose those twelve men. And then you remember, as you get to the end of the gospel accounts, Judas betrays Jesus, and he commits suicide, and now they're down to 11. And in Acts chapter 1, where I've asked you to turn, if you look at verse 24, uh, as, they're, as they're seeking to select someone to replace Judas, we read this in Acts chapter 1, verse 24. They prayed and said, you, Lord, and that's a reference to Jesus, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two that you have done what? Chosen. 
they were recognizing that Jesus had already chosen someone and they were just trying to figure out who that person was. And you go, what about the Apostle Paul? Was he chosen by Jesus? Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Jesus said of the Apostle Paul that he is a chosen instrument of mine to do something, to carry my name before the Gentiles. It was Jesus who had commissioned him, chosen and commissioned him. So first qualification, in order to be an apostle, the apostles were chosen by Jesus Christ. The second qualification, the apostles were with Christ from his baptism to his ascension. Look at Acts chapter 1. I want to read from verse 21 down through verse 26. And this is, uh, again, there where they're replacing Judas um, and finding someone else that's going to be an apostle with the other 11. Beginning in verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. And here's the time frame qualification. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The apostles were with Jesus from his baptism all the way through his ascension. That was the requirement, and it's articulated right here in Acts chapter 1. Paul was the exception to the rule. Ah, well, Paul was an apostle. He wasn't there at the baptism of Jesus that we know of uh, all the way through the ascension. He didn't accompany Jesus. He was persecuting the church. It's interesting though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, he refers to himself as an apostle. And here's his language, an apostle who was untimely born. Recognizing that, no, he wasn't there as Christ throughout his earthly ministry. God made him, chose him an apostle. He was untimely born. It happened, happened after those other men were. So the apostles were chosen by Christ, qualification number one. Qualification number two, they were with Christ from baptism to ascension. And third, the apostles were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. Uh, we read about this qualification back in Acts chapter 1, and it, it was mentioned there in verse 22. The twelve saw the risen Christ. They saw him with their eyes. And he appeared to Paul later on the road to Damascus. He did too. So what are the qualifications? Well, the apostles were chosen by Christ. They were with him from his baptism to his ascension. And they were eyewitnesses of Christ resurrected. I have a question for you. Does that sound like anybody in the church today? Who meets those qualifications? It, that does not sound like anyone in the church today, does it? Uh, more about the apostles, they were authenticated. Their, their apostleship was actually demonstrated in one particular way. Along with the qualifications, there was something that demonstrated that these men were apostles. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, and here they are, with signs and wonders and mighty works. 
The apostles performed signs, wonders, and miracles, and you read about them all throughout the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts. And what was their function, these men, the apostles? Well, I think we could argue that it was twofold. They laid the church's foundation. And if you want to look up some references on that, you find it in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, and 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. God had sent these men, he had commissioned them to lay the church's foundation. And that is done. And they received as well a second function. Not only did they lay the church's foundation, they received revelation from God and authored the New Testament. Even the books that weren't directly written by an apostle had very, very close, close ties with the apostles. And again, as you look at our Bibles, it's done. This is it. God has revealed himself. There there is no more revelation to come. All that to say, there are no apostles like this in the church today. Sure, there may be people that the church has uh, sent out, sent ones from the church, so to speak, missionaries, church planters, things like that. But there are no apostles in the official sense of what I just described and the references that I just showed you. I think that's important because some people will say, I'm an apostle, and maybe even argue that they have some kind of authority with that title and with that role. And I think the question would be, well, do you meet those three qualifications? Did Jesus choose you? Were you with him from his uh, baptism to his ascension? Uh, Have you personally seen the resurrected Christ? Did you lay the foundation of the church? Can you perform signs and miracles? It seems pretty clear that there are not apostles in the church today. Next on the list is prophets. And as I mentioned, we'll get that to there in chapter 14 as well. So I'm not going to spend time on them here this morning. And then comes teachers. God has gifted the church with teachers. What's a teacher? A teacher is someone who explains things. Teachers are explainers, and they help people uh, grasp and understand and know how to interpret and apply truth. Probably almost everyone here, at some point in your life, you probably had someone that was a really good teacher. Whether that was in school or whether that was uh, on the job site or, or uh, just in relationships or, or even teaching about marriage and parenting and family. Whatever it was, you probably know someone that's a good teacher. And teachers have the ability to, to explain things. And, and a gifted teacher is one that, that when they explain things and when they teach, people walk away and they go, Ah, I see it. I get it. I understand. I know what to do. And some of you have that gift. Um, that This gift of teaching can be done publicly. This setting would sort of be like that. I, I, we could certainly say that. It's a public teaching setting and preaching setting. But it can also be done privately. It can be done one-on-one. One person teaching another person. It can be done in a small group. It can be done in a large group, public or privately. And some of you have that gift. And what a special gift it is. What, a, what an important function in the body of Christ. And not everybody has it, that gift. Next on the list is miracles and then healing. Uh, these gifts, known as sign gifts, appear to have ceased and are no longer operative in the church today. Um, I think we'll get to some more of that as we keep moving through this te- uh, the next chapters. Um, And then next on the list is helping. Uh, 
this is a broad label that encompasses so much. I mean, when it comes to spiritual gifts, the gift of helps, that's a ministry function within the body of Christ that is so broad. It encompasses so much. And some of you, God has truly given you this gift. You're a helper. This is you. God has uh, gifted and equipped you just to come alongside of other people and help them. Or to help here in our church. And that can happen in so many different ways. But that is you and that is your heart. And God has uniquely wired you. And you're just a huge, huge blessing in that regard. Uh, Next on the list is administrating. I think most people, when they hear that word, they're just like, ooh, (laughs) administrating. Um, A lot of people immediately go, that is not me. That word, though, might get you thinking of the type of thing that an administrative assistant does in an office. You might think of office work or paperwork and stuff like that. Uh, But that's actually not really the idea of this word. The idea of this word administrating, the original word behind it, is giving advice or counsel or guidance or oversight to someone or something. It's leading. And uh, this would certainly be the type of thing that God would call elders to do within the church. Uh, but elders aren't the only ones who have this gift. Or, and, and there are needs elsewhere in the church for this sort of thing to go on. Uh, this word, administrating, is used elsewhere of a ship's pilot. The one who steers or guides the ship. And you think about the person uh, in an ancient ship navigating that boat. And he may navigate it through channels. He may navigate the boat around uh, rocks and other dangers and reefs. And he might navigate it right into the port. Wherever that ship is going, he's the one helping it get there and leading in that direction. And this is, as I mentioned, certainly the type of things that elders do. But you can have this gift without being an elder. And God has gifted you in this regard, some of you, to lead and to organize and to to direct various realms of our church and to help things go places and to to help get things done. There are many, many people within the church who they go, that's not what I want to do. Just give me a task. Just give me a job. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But people in that those shoes, typically they're looking to someone to guide and direct. Okay, what do we do? Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Well, who's the person that's helping guide that and lead that in whatever ministry of the church that may be? And some of you have that gift. And it is a huge, huge blessing to this body. Next on the list is tongues, uh, which, as I mentioned, we'll get to in chapter 14. Uh, But big picture, this gift list and other gift lists in the New Testament, there are four or five in total, um, do, they don't appear to be exhaustive. This list isn't the same as the one that we saw elsewhere in chapter 12. And it's not the same as, as the gift lists in other chapters of Scripture. The list just simply seemed to be giving us uh, representative samples of various types of gifts. Big picture, though, God has gifted you to function in this body in some way. And when it comes to those gifts, it is God who appoints them. It is God who distributes them. And the way that he does that is perfect. And if we could just get that through our thick heads, it would be so helpful for you and for me and all of us. It is God who has apportioned these. It is God who perfectly assigns the gifts, the ministry functions within the body. Third word for thick heads, when it comes to spiritual gifts, not everyone possesses every gift. Look at verses 29 and 30. I think this will be very obviously the teaching from these verses. Verses 29 and 30. Are all apostles? 
Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? No. The obvious answer is no. No one gift is available to every Christian. No single gift is possessed by every member. And that's by God's design, and it is good. Uh, the Corinthians, it, it appears, and especially as we get into the, the chapters to come, that they may have placed a, a high, high premium on tongues. Oh, everybody needs to speak in tongues. Tongues are so great, and whoever does, woo, wow, wow. They're amazing. But the fact of the matter is, is that it was not God's intent for everyone in Corinth to have that gift. What I think that means is that there are certain ministry functions that either you or your brother will not be well suited for. It would be like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Uh, we have a little toy in our home. It's a box with a lid on it, and the lid has uh, different shapes uh, cut into it, holes. And I don't know, there may be eight to ten pieces, uh, basically plastic pieces that are shaped in the shape of a star or a square or a triangle. You probably know what toy I'm talking about, but basically the object is we take the little piece and you find the corresponding uh, hole that's shaped the same way in the opening and you drop it through into the box. If you take a, a star pattern and try to put it in the square hole, it's not going to go through. It just won't fit. You have to match up the shapes to succeed. And as you try to discern what your spiritual gifts are, I would encourage you in this regard, you should start simply by looking up. Talked about that a, a, a little while back. Look up and look out and go, what are the needs here in this body? And then ask this question, am I equipped to function in such a way as to meet that need? Has God uh, equipped me to be able to meet that need? And I think if you do those things, you're very much... Uh, working and trending in the right direction. But the fact of the matter is, as you look up and you see those needs and you ask if you can meet those needs or not, you may go, actually, I don't, I don't, that's not, I don't think I can. Or you might go, yes, I can do that. By the grace of God, God has equipped me, God has gifted me, God has uh, empowered me to be able to do that. And part of church life is helping each other find where God has gifted and equipped us to function. And it's different for all of us. And yet it's so perfect and it's so good in, in God's plan and design. There are things that I cannot do. There are things that I, that, that it's just not really within my gifting. Or I may try to do it. I may be able to do it. But somebody could do that so much better. And on the flip side of that, there are things that you would really struggle to do. That I could step up and I can do that. And it's just this beautiful picture of God working in his people and his church to accomplish what he wants to do through so many different parts. Much like an orchestra, all the instruments playing their part and making a beautiful sound. That is what God's people do for the glory of God. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, not everyone possesses every gift. So don't get hung up on what you don't have or can't do. You just ask, what can I do? How has God equipped me and do that? And one final word for thick heads. When it comes to spiritual gifts, you need to seek what is superior. Look at verse 31. After saying that not everybody has every gift, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. Um, God wants you, expects you to seek what is superior. And that involves two things in particular from verse 31. 
God tells you first to desire the higher gifts. What are the higher gifts and what makes them so? Well, it's possible that Paul is referring to the order and ranking of these gifts that we uh, have seen in the previous verses. First apostles, second prophets, that sort of thing. But many uh, interpreters are rightfully cautious about that because you have passages like Ephesians chapter 11 and Romans chapter 12 verses 8 to 10 that actually arrange some of these exact same gifts in a different order. What seems more likely is what Paul is going to get to in chapter 14, where he uh, specifically addresses speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there he argues for the importance of intelligibility. If you exercise the gift of speaking in tongues all day long, I mean, you, you stand up for eight hours in front of people and you speak in tongues. And you go, wow, this is really great. I just spoke in tongues. But there's no one there to interpret it and nobody understands it. Okay. So how was that helpful? If you exercise the gift of speaking in tongues all day, but what you're saying isn't intelligible to others, it has no impact on the body. And I think that's a key word, impact. The higher gifts would be the intelligible gifts because they edify the body. And I, I think it comes down to this ultimately. What are the higher gifts? They are ministry functions that make a positive impact on the body and they build it up. Your attitude should be like this. When God tells you to desire the higher gifts, I think it would essentially be this type of mindset and this type of heart. God, I don't really care how it is that I function in this body. I don't care whether I'm seen or not. I don't care if what I'm doing is flashy or comes across to everyone as important or significant. I don't care. I just want to function in such a way that impacts this body for good. God is saying you should have a desire. I want to make an impact in the life of other people. I want to make an impact for good in this place with these people. I hope that that is your heart. Desire the higher gifts. And second, the second way that you seek what's superior is to take the excellent way. Paul says, I will show you a still more excellent way. And he's referring to the way of love uh, referenced there in, in chapter 13, the, the well-known chapter on love. That is the way to exercise your gifts. What your gift or function in the body is, it is really not nearly as important as how you exercise it. And that it's just a huge, monumental idea. Whatever it is that you're doing, that is not nearly as important as how you do it and how you exercise your ministry gift. Without love, your spiritual gift is worthless. And the fruit of the Spirit, love, is far more important than the gifts of the Spirit. God wants you to be using your gift, but the fruit of the Spirit should be seen as you do. When it comes to spiritual gifts, you need to seek what is superior. Uh, so much hinges on this. So much hinges on, on you seeing this bigger picture. And again, Paul's just been beating these things into our head. He's repeating himself so that hopefully we'll get it. So much hinges on it. God wants you to get it with spiritual gifts and the church and to see the big picture. And by God's grace, I hope we'll be a church that does get it. And each individual member recognizing they're part of a whole and just saying, God, would you use me? in this place, with these people, for, for your glory and their good. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes at this time?